Hey y'all, this is Mel Offlerbach and you're listening to Green Juice and Tequila Season 2. Green Juice and Tequila represents the earthy, organic, natural vibes colliding with raw, imperfect, and unfiltered stories. Some of us can have it all together, y'all. Eating the latest health nut craze, drink our green juice, meditate every morning. But we also have a side that's vulnerable, real, and sometimes stressed. Life throws you curveballs, y'all, and that's okay. You can be both, green juice and tequila. Well, hello, y'all. Welcome into the second season of Green Juice and Tequila. I am so excited to have um, my beautiful friend and this amazing, influential yoga teacher uh, as a guest on today's episode, um, Zoe Mantarakis. And she is a assistant professor of the yoga practice in, at UT Austin, which I think is pretty incredible. So thank you, Zoe, for being on this episode. I'm so excited. Hi, Mel. It's really good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. And you guys, um, people who've lived in Austin have practiced yoga in Austin um, over the last, like, what, 15, 20 years, for sure yeah. knows knows you well and has been part of so many journeys that you have manifested and created for this yoga community. But I'm, like, so excited to learn a little bit more about how you have introduced the philosophy of yoga into a college campus like UT. Like, I would love to hear that part of your story and how you got there. So I'm excited to learn and hear more. Well, yeah, that's been a really exciting new chapter um, in my journey because, yeah, like you said, I've been teaching yoga for many years locally in Austin, Texas. Um, And I actually had a little contracting gig where I was going on campus on UT to teach yoga to faculty and professors just as a contract laborer you know they would pay me hourly and i would teach a class here or there and it was not on my radar at all that they were hiring and in fact i i kind of i think i hit it's been probably 18 years i guess that i've been teaching yoga and i i just turned 40 recently and so over it was last summer when I was turning 40 and having taught yoga for 18 years. And I thought, maybe I'm getting burned out. Maybe it's time for a transition. What would it look like? I don't know. I was brainstorming. Do I want to go into birthing where they do the doula services and the midwifery? I don't know. Or um, where you officiate weddings. (laughs) Anything that was spiritual and bringing people together. Um, And the person, my connection at UT that had me doing the contract work there said, have you seen their job posting? And she kind of nudged me to apply. That's amazing. And I just don't think any other yoga teachers saw it. I don't know. I don't know who saw the ad, but I applied and I know that I ended up being one of three candidates that they eventually ended up kind of vetting for the final stages to consider. And um, it's never been done before. They didn't, they don't have a yoga department. They don't have a yoga program and there are no other universities kind of, we'll talk about it. Maybe I'll I'll mention Loyola Marymount in California and they, they are graduating 
yoga degrees now, but it's not old enough that I would have a yoga degree. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so um, normally in the hiring process in the university, you'd have to prove you have a PhD or a master's, or, you know, like, why are you qualified? Yeah. So I had to prove that I basically have the equivalent of a yoga master's based on hours that I've taught, yep. publications that I've been featured in, um, public speaking engagements that I've done, research, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I got, I, I got the job. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like, well, that's pretty incredible. And plus your background too, I think is really an important piece of this. Like you had mentioned you had graduated from high school early at like 16 years old and went to Berkeley, studied philosophy. Like, I feel like those key elements are so important when you're wanting to go into, and I mean, you're basically, you guys are making this up, I'm sure, as you go along of what the qualifications would be to be a professor of yoga at a big university and that you're paving the path for so so many other universities to kind of mimic and mirror that. So I feel like a lot of the, you're going to probably be on the spotlight for all of this stuff over the next couple of years setting the path yeah and it's been pretty funny they they hired me to teach yoga and to be a professor of yoga but and I've only been there one year now I'm just completing my first year of professorship uh, and I'm an assistant professor Um, and um, I don't think they even really knew what they were hiring me for right the people that were hiring me are not yogis Mm -mm. so they've heard of yoga they know it's a thing that one guy who hired me said, it is thousands of years old, so it's kind of about time we have a professor of it here. <laughs> like, they, they know that it's legit. But they thought of it more as the, the practice, the physical stuff. Okay. And so my classes have been, at first, classified as PE classes. Okay. And what I'm working on is expanding that because yoga is not just a physical practice. No. And so um, I did do a guest lecture, and I taught a class called Philosophy of Yoga, which I'm working on reinstituting, yes, in the semesters to come. And I've changed the format of the class that I'm teaching. Even though it's a PE class, we spend the first 15 minutes in lecture, and then 45 minutes we practice. Yes. And I'll just pick a different topic, but that way each day students are exposed to concepts like non-harming or practicing truthfulness or the concept of guru and who is a guru outside you or inside you different different topics every day but I lecture a little bit so that it's not only a physical oh yeah I like I mean I feel like it would be such an amazing experience for college students to be able to take more philosophy-based yoga classes because yoga is so huge and there's so much depth to the topic that it's past the physical. That's just one limb of yoga. So I I mean, I really truly hope as years continue to unfold that it does become a full-on philosophy-based degree. I mean, there's so many layers to it, I'm sure, that you could add in. It's just like the emotional, neurological response to 
you know, breathing and pranayama and meditating and yoga and how the body's like scientific reaction and response to those things are like, I mean, there's just probably so many directions you could go with this. That is so exciting. I can't wait to like follow your journey on it. And And we are, we're taking it in all of those directions. We talk about biofeedback and the scientific understanding we have of how yoga actually works. And it's so cool. I'm getting such great feedback from the students because The yoga is the hook that gets them in and they're like, yeah, I want to do yoga. And then they get in there and I'm lecturing on (laughs) how to quiet the mind or how to have self-reflection where you can be aware of your own thoughts. But by the end of the semester, the overwhelming feedback is they are so glad they took the class and they wish they had took it as a freshman instead of, you know, waiting and it's, it's just, it's actually becoming a really valuable resource. I love students. that. Well, I even feel like I'm like just thinking outside the box. Like when I was in college, I wanted to go to school to be a clinical psychologist. Like that was the original direction I was going into. And so now after not completing that and going more into the direction of yoga and the things I've learned over the years, I'm like, that is, I feel like it's such a crucial tool for medical physicians and doctors and psychologists and counselors to have that understanding and background of the body when it comes to yoga and all the attributes. Exactly. This is a big step in legitimizing yoga, that it isn't just an alternative medicine. Now it's something that's being taught on a you know legitimate, well-respected university campus. And the program I'm working on is actually a minor. What I'm trying to develop is like a specialization or a minor. And it's it's that's it's not what it is yet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's gonna be a several years journey. Could be three to ten years oh, of before course. the program is fully developed. But the grand vision I have is that I would catch students in the medical um, major or in psychology major or nursing or, you know, all of those kind of wellness fields and that they could have a minor or a specialization in yoga. That literally gives me goosebumps. That's Doesn't so, it? It and really does. Them, yeah. Imagine them as graduates and then they're a doctor or psychologist and you come that they wouldn't, it's, it's so cliched that a doctor will say, oh, you have high blood pressure. You should do yoga. Or a psychologist will say, oh, you have anxiety. Have you tried yoga? But what if they had skilled knowledge and they said, this particular pose is what I think you should do. And here's how it will work. And here's the kind of yoga you shouldn't do. And this should be avoided because yoga is kind of a catch-all. Doctors will tell you, do yoga. And really, it's like, no, you need to do a certain kind for a certain ailment. Exactly. And you do a different kind for other ailments. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. That is so exciting Zoe I like I'm so excited for you that if I could go back to school that's if that was an option for me that is absolutely the direction I would have gone into and I would have probably stuck with it but at the time it was like yoga was calling my name I'm like there's just no way I can continue on this trajectory down this path I was like ready to go a completely different direction so what really got you into the realm of philosophy, what inspired that for you? Um, I mean, I, I would definitely have to start by saying dad. <laughs> My dad uh, is a philosopher himself. He, he majored in astrophysics and ended up going into the business world. But at heart, 
he's a thinker. And in my teenage years, when I was graduating high school early and just thirsty for knowledge, he exposed me to my to my first philosophy books. And he would, you know, slide one across the table to me and go, you know, here's here's what you should be reading. I remember Jean-Paul Sartre. uh, He had a book called No Exit and um, Camus, I think, uh, the myth of Sisyphus. These are all, they're existential philosophy books, <laughs> but it really got me thinking because the purpose of reading those books is what is the meaning of it all? Yeah. What's the meaning of life? Right. Yep. And, uh, and it hooked me. And I think that's what yoga is endeavoring to answer too, in its own way. Yoga kind of seeks to provide, what is the meaning of this all? What are we all doing here? Yeah, exactly. And you and your mother was also a yogi. So it's just so ironic and funny that you blended the way you were brought up from these two individuals that you looked up to. And you're really kind of merging those two backgrounds together and creating something really, really beautiful in your own way. So I just like hearing her story. I'm like, of course she's teaching at UT yoga. It all makes sense now, but in the midst of it, yeah. it was very unclear. I'm sure. <laughs> what are you going to do with a philosophy degree? Like, who yeah. hires those people? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I never thought of it as following in my mother's footsteps. Only now do I go back and remember, I, you know, she would close her door. It was very mysterious. I could hear her chanting, um, you know, and, and we had yoga books as as. I was growing up that I would kind of flip through and look at these mysterious postures and poses, but there was definitely this break that was from my young childhood. And then by the time I was in college, I'd kind of forgotten that those were my roots, you know, and it's, it's really been a return to that for sure. I love that. And so you, I definitely want to like hear more your story of, what really got you into becoming a yoga teacher and your practice and, you know, who your, who your master teachers were, those teachers who influenced you to kind of get where you are? Because you've been teaching for almost 20 years at this point. So I can only imagine the teachers that you've absorbed and experienced from. So where did your yoga journey really start? Uh, definitely started in New York for me. And um, like I said, I was kind of, I had departed from those yoga roots And I was in New York, it was the year 2000, after I graduated college, and I googled some classes to take and found this one that was offering absolute beginner (laughs) yoga. And it was at this place called Laughing Lotus, which has now become this successful franchise, they have multiple locations. Um, But at the time, it was this sweet, small, homegrown studio with these three phenomenal teachers. There was Amy Apoliti, Dana Flynn and Jasmine Tarkeshi. And I mean, these women are still powerhouses and and gurus, gurus in their own right. And I didn't know what I was getting. (laughs) I was a total novice and I happened to stumble across the best of the best. Yes. (laughs) And at that time in New York, also, um, David Leif and his wife, uh, Sharon Gannon, were also teaching in-person classes at Jiva Mukti. Oh, wow. So I would go uptown to Jiva Mukti and take their classes with those, with the owners, with the masters, who they don't teach publicly anymore. You oh have my to gosh. take a special workshop or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say. That's yeah. amazing. So that was back in 2000. Yeah. Which then, in, then you shifted and moved to Austin 
a year later. Right. I moved to Austin in 2001, and um, Amy Ippoliti pointed me in the direction of Anusara and gave me a contact here um, whose name was Mary. And I studied really closely with Mary for many years after that. She was a mother. She had three children. Um, I was not yet a mother. I was not yet married. Um, (laughs) But I just connected very strongly with her, as well as another woman who I just discovered when I moved to Austin named Brigitte, Brigitte Snyder. And um, both of those really became my close mentors as I moved towards becoming a teacher in my own right. So your your initial direction in yoga, like the style of yoga that you were drawn to was Anusara and like a vinyasa based based mm-hmm. yoga. And I know like those who are listening who are in the yoga community know about Anusara, heard about Anusara, and there was a kind of a lot of controversy around that community not too long ago. Um, what was kind of your experience flowing in and out through your trainings and your teachings under the Anusara umbrella? I mean, yoga yoga is culty yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> through the ages. You don't even have to call it culty. It's a certain magnetism. What we are really drawn to, I believe, when we are drawn to yoga is the magnetism of light, enlightenment, freedom, liberation, um, self-realization. And it just gets confused sometimes because the teacher is the vessel for that wisdom to pass through. And we need to be really clear that we are worshiping the wisdom itself, the light itself, not the messenger. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so it's not just John Friend, and he's he's not unique. He went through his own dramas. Um, I feel like there's just so much value to the light he shared that that didn't get tarnished for me, even though he had his own personal foibles. He's such a human. Yeah. Isn't he such a man? Oh my gosh. He surrounded himself with women in tight pants and ended up, you know, having indiscretions. And he um, was also, I think he was using marijuana and maybe shipping the marijuana across state lines. I'm not not sure on the details, but it's just so typical of being human and being a man. Yes. But that isn't yoga. The yoga was the vessel that he was, you know, transmuting like through himself. And so that never tarnished for me. And and I've never stopped loving Anusara. But there was certainly a moment when I saw John after I came to his first workshop when he was in Austin after some stuff had gone down. And and I just uh, felt like in Anusara, we talk about alignment as aligning yourself with the divine. And I f- felt like I could observe a misalignment in him. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I had held him in highest regard as an embodiment of alignment, uh, when I saw him in the, the most, and this was years ago now, but when I saw him at that time, he just appeared misaligned. And that was a departure for me. I just chose not to study with him personally anymore. But I value greatly um, what he contributed to my own personal life and just to, you know, the light in yoga. Well, I I mean, I've talked to a couple other gals um, 
especially on this season, about cults and kind of the community and um, how confusing it can be. And because like what you said, it's like you're trying, you're, as a human being, I think a lot of us want to feel connected to someone, something, whether it's the divine or this human being in front of me that we get infatuated with because they are the vessel, the messenger of, you know, whatever philosophy that they're presenting and, and speaking to. And so it can it can be really easy to get into that type of cultish like community. Um, I had Gia Kanda on not too long ago and we had discussed cause she had mentioned she was in a yoga cult here in Austin and how difficult it was for her to kind of leave and, and try not to erase that part of her. Like, like you said, there was parts of it that she really valued and really adored. But, um, I'm just kind of curious, like how you've seen Austin as a yoga community in a city, how it's evolved over X amount of years and its shadows and its ups and downs and, Giaconda and I share a lot of our path. And so my teacher was in that same group, of that, that community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I used to, I used to tell her that she was my guru. Yeah. And she was always adamant. She'd say, no, 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 no. The guru is within. I'm not your guru. I'm your teacher. I'm transmitting the teachings of yoga. The lineage that we're connected to is ancient. And you can imagine moving it, it moves from behind her and through her and out to me and out in front of us to the future, right? Is this like thread from past to present to future is the lineage of yoga. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't tend to, I don't think cults are so bad or so wrong. I think it's just a part of being human. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. It's not, I don't even, maybe I don't, I'm not sure that I call it a cult. Yeah. It's like, sometimes we just get confused about who we're worshiping. Yeah. And when we're really clear, we remember that what I'm drawn to is the light. And, um, in terms of like an evolution in the Austin community, I mean, I think Austin was uniquely blessed with a very authentic yoga roots. Mm-hmm. I agree. It was uh, the group that Giaconda was with. That was the healing in yoga group. There was also this woman, Peggy Kelly. She's one of the, the deep old school founders of yoga in Austin. Charles McInerney, um, Devin Dietrich. These are the founders of yoga in Austin, and they're all very authentic, steeped in ancient tradition, and they're not looking to have their egos stroked. Yeah. And it's only become in recent times because of the popularity of yoga that it's become more physically based and we mm-hmm. get the kind of the black swans, yep. the more popular like franchisee kind of yoga where large groups are gathering to have maybe the social aspect of yoga. Yeah, I agree with um, that. It's just, it's, yeah. it's blown up. Like I remember even you know, 12 years ago when I first moved to Austin and, and y'all listening in, I mean, I came from the yoga community in Salt Lake City, Utah and Boulder, Colorado. And so the first moment I popped into Austin, I'm like, I have got to find my community as soon as possible. And how ironic and crazy that day two of living in Austin on Easter morning, I go to your class at the Love Co-op 
And you got me my first teaching gig at Pure Austin Fitness. And, and you were, I mean, you were literally my teacher for a long time. I took classes, I did your retreats, I would go to your workshops. So I've definitely have seen the way Austin has changed even 12 years ago. When I came here, there was not a lot of yoga studios. There were, I could count on maybe two hands, the, the well-known yoga studios in the area. And a lot of the same teachers would teach at all of those studios. So it was kind of a lot smaller community, I felt like, and I definitely have seen it evolve into like it's it, it almost frustrates me sometimes. I don't know how it is for y'all, but it's just like we're whipping out all of these teacher training programs and these teachers. I just feel like because my background, too, is very traditional. I came from Yoga Integral and Anusara. And so seeing what's now being produced, it makes me kind of sad that we're losing a lot of the roots of of yoga and it's a very different vibe right now it's just like it's like who, yeah. how many hours can we get how can how many how many teaching trainings can we do so we're the best teacher in austin like i just feel like it's a very competitive egotistic community yeah, I a little just bit feel, i kind of feel the more yoga the better yeah let it get diffused that's okay someone who's doing it just for fitness or to get a yoga booty yeah. or of yoga course. body or whatever they're doing hot and sweaty yoga by night whatever it is <laughs> um it's all gimmicks goat yoga yeah you know? <laughs> but that's more people doing yoga than not doing yoga. exactly and i think that all serves the same purpose and eventually they find their way to me those seekers that are meant to practice with me and i'm still able to offer my teachings on my terms to the audience that they're meant for. And, and it's not meant for everyone. Not everyone wants to go deep into the philosophical, spiritual aspects of, of yoga and enlightenment and magnetism to self-realization. Yes. <laughs> um, but I'm unwavering in my path. And so I think it's almost, it does me a service. It's like, great, all you new young teachers, you teach those yoga booties. Yes. And I'll stay over here and, and, and teach what's authentic to me. And then I can reach those that I'm meant to reach. Yes, exactly. I, when I love, I think it's important for even young teachers or just teachers in general who have been molded and developed into this kind of era of yoga within the last five to 10 years to hear that that it's like a reminder like you have to be authentic in who you are and that's going to be a reflection of your teachings it doesn't matter if you took you know two 500 hour teachers trainings used and you're if you're not authentic on who you are no matter what you learn it's not going to come out in that direction if you're not being who you're, you're supposed to be. So, um, well, and that's been another part of, of what I've done is I've led many rounds of teacher trainings. I think yeah. I've certified maybe 75, uh, yeah, yours were one of the first teacher trainings that I remember in yeah. Austin. There wasn't a lot of offerings there. Yeah. And one of my, um, like my mottos for my trainees is teach what you know. Don't teach what you don't know. Exactly. <laughs> don't try to teach what I know. You know, you teach what you know. And so I think my own personal journey is that I just know more. 
now yeah. than I've ever known before, right? Just as a product of my age. And also what I know now isn't just yoga-based. Of course, I have studied yoga and been steeped in it for many years, but I've also just been living life and I know life stuff. And so I teach from what I know about motherhood, relationship, uh, entrepreneurship, you know, um, and, and I, I'm really interested in, in teaching from that place too. Oh, yes. And I feel like it's in, it's important as, as these senior level yoga instructors, I mean, I feel like that's why they become more of these like guru or, you know, like we talk about like these leaders who we look up to, you're becoming a, a, a different vessel. And as we start to age and acclimate to, you know, balancing being a mom and raising kids and going through traumas in our life that we utilize those life skills and it bleeds into our teaching and it bleeds into our practice. And again, I think that just circles back around that that's your authentic you and your authentic teaching behind all of that. So you, absolutely. And you, um, you yeah. had, so you owned a yoga studio in the past, you know, 19 years, you were kind of like the yoga celebrity of Austin for quite some time too. And doing like, like the, I remember going to your live DJ. I'd never done any type of yoga with a live DJ and glow sticks. It was always like fun and hyperactive. And yeah, you were like, it was fun. God. For a second there, I was like, quote unquote, yoga famous. <laughs> yeah, you were. I had, um, I had corporate sponsorships. I was sponsored by a vodka company. Oh, my god! That would come and give out free vodka shots. <laughs> I had my own personal DJ that I would tour with. My buddy DJ Manny and yep. I were like. I love DJ Manny. Yeah. And we would do events with Lululemon. We would do events with Pure Austin and Whole Foods. And um, I was sponsored by clothing brands, so I had free, you know, clothing. And I was sponsored by coconut water. Oh they yes, I remember. A whole pallet of coconut water to my house. Um, so it's much the same journey that I was describing with John Friend, right? This alignment. Mm-hmm. And at the time, that felt completely in alignment. I wanted to make yoga popular. Yeah. So if I need to give college students shots after Shavasana, <laughs> I will. <Yeah. laughs> and if I need to have a live DJ and glow sticks and booty pumping and we're doing yoga after dark, I will. And um, it, there wasn't, I'm not uh, ashamed of, no. of that or yeah. I don't feel like that diluted my teachings that was in alignment for where I was at the time that, you know, and I was, I was in my youth and I, I was, um, that was the dynamic direction the teachings took me. And it's, it's really sweet now to be aligned, um, in different, in in other ways. And even to see recovery be become a part of yoga, um, that I I don't know any yoga teachers that are sponsored by alcohol anymore. No. Yeah. (laughs) Many more of them, like on campus, on UT, I've partnered with the Center for Students in Recovery, and I'm helping them create a yoga program for students that are trying to live sober lives. So talk about a complete 180 now yeah. instead of shots, right? I'm, I'm providing yoga with 12 steps. I love um, that. Well, I think like... that's what, you know, that's what feels more in, like, uh, more in alignment now. 
And that I feel like is almost kind of like another branch of being a yoga teacher is the business of yoga. You're like that phase of your teaching, you were learning how to expand your brand, expand your name by connecting with as many demographics as you possibly could. And you had to come up with some sort of like shiny little gold piece to shimmer at those demographics to get them hooked into this idea of practicing yoga. So honestly, I think that's genius. And I think that you've really set the tone and the path for a lot of yoga studios and teachers being creative and learning by example of how to connect with certain demographics and what it takes to hook those certain types of personalities in. Um, And we just have to be so, we just have to be aware of how human we are that, that it is, it's, you can't chastise people for aligning themselves with brands or endorsements. It's such a human thing. We, we all need money or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, security in our jobs, or we crave popularity. And and those are just the human sides of us. And I don't claim to be um, a Buddha, but (laughs) I certainly am on the path. And I certainly, you know, strive to align myself with the best that I know at the time. And if that's what it looked like 15 years ago, (laughs) that's what it looked like. (laughs) Yes. Well, I just know that you have been a huge influencer in the yoga community in Austin and um, even for me like I said like if if I would have never went to that first yoga class I don't know what my teaching path would have been in Austin um, and and I told this to Gia Kanda too when I had gone to y'all's retreat in Wimberley which was really difficult for me I had a brand new little baby I'd never left her before Um, and we would get into some really deep rituals and that was, I came from a chanting background, um, and singing in Shavasana and using instruments. And I was really worried I wasn't going to be able to find that same community here in Austin and that retreat, you had brought that entire group to do our chanting. And I remember losing myself in that moment and, um, it was, it was a very pivotal shift for me being part of this community here because of that. But there was one thing that I'll, has always sat with me, and I've now used this in my women's retreats and different rituals I have done um, for those organizations was you did a fire burning ceremony. And I remember you're like, you need to bring an object you are willing to part with. And I remember thinking like, what do I bring to this? Like, what do I feel comfortable letting go? And what is it going to represent? I remember just like thinking for days before this retreat, being so nervous. I'm like, what the crap am I going to bring? And I totally forgot about it. I remember running out the door and I was like, shoot, I need to grab something. And we had Matt, my husband had bought me a bunch of roses and I grabbed a rose and went down to Wimberley. And by I think it was like either the first night or the last night of the retreat you had us come and we had to speak to what that item was and we had to journal about it that day and I remembered being like I had no intention on what that rose meant for me but when I started journaling I remember being like you know what this rose is like a representation of like this perfect beautiful romantic flower but it has thorns and it's welting and it's not perfect. And I remember it clicked for me where I'm like, I'm going to be throwing perfectionism into that fire tonight. And that's what this represented. I know. 
it's emotional even talking about it but that was a, that's powerful but I that realization came on that retreat and it has stuck with me on all of my teachings I mean so, that's the theme of this podcast yeah when you read green juice and tequila yes. <laughs> you've got to relinquish the perfectionism we're we're not we're green juice and tequila we can be both but yeah so I just like I wanted to say thank you you know oh, just wow. for I mean we just don't realize you I mean you probably don't realize how many people you've touched and you've affected but that really helped pivot and shift my own teaching practice and it Every single time I do a fire burning ceremony, that moment and feeling and emotion pop up for me. So I'm very grateful. Wow. Yes, very grateful. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, you guys have done some pretty amazing things for this community. So, In the 12 steps, the number step 11 is called endeavoring to have conscious contact with God through prayer and meditation. And I feel like that's what that is when you describe chanting and ritual and journaling. This is our communication with guru. In yoga, we call it guru. You know, you can call it God. You can call it the universe. You can call it your inner self. Uh, But that's what you're describing. Yeah. Oh, completely. And I I felt it. I felt it so hardcore. Um, Well, on that note... (laughs) I like to shift my podcast into a fun little game called 20 Questions. Okay. Okie dokie. So 20 Questions, super easy. I'm just going to kind of jot off a few questions. Just don't think twice about it. There's some like deep questions, some easy, fun questions, and we're just kind of, we're just going to go from there. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. (laughs) Are you a coffee or a black tea drinker? Decaf coffee and herbal tea. No caffeine. Love it. Good for you, mama. Um, what workouts do you do? Do you do aside from yoga? I get my steps every day. That's just a fun way that I, uh, you know, challenge myself is to like walk seven to 10,000 steps every day. I ride my bike, I bike commute and I, I do occasional like social rides, like fun, longer distance ones out in Blanco or Fredericksburg. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And, um, I lift, I lift weights and do kind of that, that type of workout too, which feels really good. Oh yeah. I think it's really important, especially for women as we start to age, how crucial it is to start incorporating weights because it just builds testosterone, which is something we lose as women as we age and bone density. So it's so good to hear. I'm a huge advocate for weightlifting it in conclusion with my yoga practice and running and all that other stuff. I never knew how much I would love it. Yeah. It's like. It's so empowering. I know. Isn't it? Heavy. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love it. I, I love yeah. that you do that. Uh-huh. Um, so where, what's your favorite yoga studio you've ever practiced in? Anywhere in the world. Whoa. Um, I would say probably um, it used to be called Sacred Movement in Venice Beach, and I think it became Exhale. It it turned into a lot of... But this was a very magical studio in Venice Beach, which is a magical place for me. I just... I'm from L.A. I'm from, uh, you know, that area. And Shiva Ray used to teach there, and Max Strom, (sighs) and just a number of other really amazing 
yogis, that's a very special time is for me is remembering practicing there. Mm. I had to pick one place. Oh, I love that. Are you a mountain girl or an ocean girl? Ooh, see, I get to pick both because I'm from LA. Yeah. Mountains and beach. I'm 100% on on that train with you. I love both. They just give you two different, and when you can collide both those worlds together, that's a powerful earth experience. I love that. Um, What was one of the most impressionable moments or memories that you can think of or go back to? Whoa. I think, um, you want to get heavy? You said some of these are allowed to be heavy, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the most pivotal memories is of being abandoned as a child. Yeah. And I think my whole life since then has been in recovery of that. Yeah. And um, part of that, excuse me while I get emotional, no, okay. but you asked, so yeah. you're going to get the answer. <laughs> um, part of that abandonment was that my parents got divorced when I was two. And so there was this departure. That's just the way things went, you know, that dads didn't really get custody. So there was a departure of my dad from the, he was, he's still present and he, you know, he loved me, but wasn't there with me daily. And, um, and then my mom and I kind of had a break in our relationship when I was a teenager and I felt very much abandoned in that break. And, um, my entire adulthood has has been almost like a reaction to the, that one experience of abandonment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, when I and the healing of it, you know, it's called uh, the work I do is called reparenting myself, and I'm learning to become my own loving parent and go back and heal these old wounds, yeah. so that I'm um, not defined by by that. Yes, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. And as children, you know, we, those traumas and those, those experiences we have, we, we take those and we learn at a young age how to respond and react to them. And it, it almost gets caught up in like our tissue as an adult of, you know, I always, when I notice myself um, going back to old ways, I have to re- remother myself a little bit and ask myself like okay when was the first time I felt like this okay it was when I was eight yeah I was like oh I was eight years old okay well why did I feel this way why do I feel like this right now what's triggering this and bringing a voice to it and then saying it out loud it just I feel like it knowing those things about yourself make you a better mom make you a better partner a better business you know and friend I just think like that deep impressionable work is crucial for us. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say one more thing about that, which is that it's also been a road to forgiveness Mm -hmm. for me where my dad and my mom are no longer symbols of abandonment because the more I heal, I can see them as humans who were doing the best in the situation yep. that they were given. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, even though that is a pivotal memory I have, I also am able to view it with clearer eyes Yeah. You know, through healing. Oh God, I love that. Um, on a lighter note. Yes, please. What's your favorite food? 
Chocolate, 100%. Chocolate. Chocolate. chocolate, Fancy, the more expensive, the better. Yes, melts in your mouth (laughs) with a little, like, comes from New York, salt, caramel. I've had some with bacon in it. They always say that the recommended dosage is like one quarter of a bar of chocolate. I'm like, "Uh, no, we'll be having the entire. Yeah, the entire bar is happening today. Um, what what what's your favorite place you've ever traveled to? Um, probably Costa Rica. I, I'm just, I mean, because that's the place I've been the most. Yeah. So I must that must be just my favorite. I've been to some amazing. I've I've traveled very very extensively. Yeah. But Costa Rica, I do. I just love. There's never a bad time to be in Costa Rica. I agree. I love Costa Rica and the energy and vibe there is magical. Um, let's see. Do you have a self-care regiment? And what does that self-care regiment look like? Yes. On a daily basis, it looks like um, I read spiritual literature, um, faith-based literature, self-help, meditation, subconscious work, uh, whatever it is that I'm, you know, in the mood for. But I, I read um, literature to deepen, you know, my own healing path. I meditate. Um, and then on a, a larger scale, I do self-care like I do occasional therapy. I don't do it regularly anymore, but maybe once a month I will touch base with a therapist um, I like to go to church. To me, that's self-care um, routine. I take care of physical fitness. Like we were talking about lifting weights. Like all of that is self-care. Eating chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. What book are you reading right now? You know, the I love The Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, yeah, girl. I read that a few years ago. I love that. Oh, her. man. It is just so good. It is so good. Mary, yeah. she's she's pretty remarkable. She definitely can yeah. str- strum a couple chords for me for sure. Yeah. Um, so do you have any siblings? Yes, I have a brother. We share the same dad. And he lives in California. And he's actually expecting a baby this year. Oh, my God. That's exciting. Speaking of babies, how many babies do you have? I have three human babies and two fur babies. And you've got, are are they, you've got daughter, sons, I have a 15-year-old son, a soon-to-be 13-year-old son. His birthday's in a couple weeks. And I have a toddler daughter. She's about to turn four. I love it. I I will never forget on one of the retreats I was on with you. You're like, I'm gonna have a kid in my twenties, in my thirties, and my forties. I was like, you go, girl. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a journey. I've been married twice. Um, you know, and ta- I mean, this is all an extension of that abandonment wound and the relationships we choose. And then, you know, the more we heal, the more we go, oh, man, I made this huge life decision based on a wound. And how do I redirect my course? Um, and, and I'm so grateful for the, my children in my life. Um, and, uh, but I'm not partnered right now. And I'm not, I'm not with either of their, 
either of the fathers that I've that I've partnered with. And that's that's just been part of the evolution of healing. That's okay. And that's that's a realization I feel like I've heard from a lot of different women, even on this season of the podcast, of just coming to that realization of what these relationships truly represent for them and why they got involved in them in the first place. And as we start to get older and age and have this inner wisdom, like the inner crone come out of us and giving us this like whole perspective of like what truly is what we want and what we need to feel grounded and happy. So that's, you're a pretty remarkable mama to have three kids and doing that solo sister. Um, Okay, honey, if you were stuck on an island, what three things would you need to have on that island that you couldn't live without? Oh, girl. (laughs) I mean, the first thing that I think of is like a a vibrator or a man. (laughs) (laughs) Something, something. Something, something, yeah. I mean, let's pick a man. I want to manifest. I'm going to say a man. Yeah, okay. I'm going to manifest that for myself. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Let's envision me on a desert island with a man. Yes. And, um, I mean, gosh, what else would I need? I would need a fruit-bearing tree. I love it. Shade, food, right? Yeah. Multi-purpose. And a source of fresh water. Love Boom. it. You Done. are. I want to be on an island with you. Wow, um, sorry, it's only open to you. I get it. You can have your island. I'll, I'll be on the next island over. But if I need water or fruit bearing tree, I'm hopping over. Um, what's your favorite thing to do when you're not teaching? Um, be outdoors. Period. Yep. Walking the dog, riding my bike, gardening, get outside. Love it. Any TV series that you're watching, especially nowadays when we're quarantined inside the house for so long? Man, um, you know which one I like? It's such a goofy one, but it's called Bless This Mess. (laughs) Never heard of that one. I'm writing it down. (laughs) Oh, I'm obsessed with him. This guy, Dax Shepard. You need to check into Dax Shepard because he has a super cool podcast. I've listened to it. Care Experts. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. So it's him. And he's also, I mean, I'm just obsessed. He's married to the voice of Anna from... Frozen. Frozen. Yeah. Christ, is yeah. it Kristen Bell, right? Yeah. God, I love her. So he's in this show called Bless This Mess with Lake Bell, who is an amazing actress also. She's just so great and gritty and real and raw. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's a super light and fluffy sitcom. Okay, I'm going to totally have to watch that one. I love him. <laughs> he's hysterical. Okay. What? Um, who's your favorite female inspiration? Um, locally, there's, um, I'm blanking. Oh, oh give me a second. Oh, what's, <laughs> um, G, her name's GB Kalsa. I'm going to give shout outs to GB Kalsa. Locally, she's a midwife. Oh my gosh, love it. And there's nothing more feminine 
than the art of natural birthing yes. and empowering women I to love that. birth naturally. Yes, Mama. I love that. So her name is J.B. Colsa. G. G.B. 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 Colsa. K-H-A-L-S-A. G.B. Colsa. I think she got her name in the Sikh tradition, in the Kundalini yoga tradition. Mm. I think that's where her name comes from. Oh, I love that. Well, you pregnant ladies out there listening, she might be someone to look into. She definitely is. And um, I don't know whether she's still taking clients anymore, but she had a protege who founded a birthing um, business called Heart of Gold. And that would definitely, if you're pregnant now, you would you would look up Heart of Gold to birth naturally, which is just, I can't be a bigger advocate for women who are pregnant now to seek that deep strength from within to birth mm. naturally and birth at home. Yes. Um, okay, what's your biggest fear? It can be silly fear like a spider or it could be something super deep and tequila. <laughs> Girl, I don't, I don't, you're catching me. I, I don't feel scared right now. My stock answer, this because this is kind of, this is a typical question that they ask you. Uh, I used to say I was scared that there wasn't enough love. And that comes from that abandonment wound. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel scared of that uh, right now. I love that. You're, you're, you're in alignment. You're solid, sister. I like it. <laughs> it's me on a good day. Yeah. I'm freaking out about a spider. Yeah. <laughs> what is your zodiac sign? I'm a cancer. A cancer. Total cancer. Love it. I've got... Look it up. It's me to a T. Oh, I'm sure. I'm like really into astrology and I I have a couple friends of mine who are hardcore cancers. I have a lot of cancers around my life. My mother-in-law, my grandma. Yeah. Those are are important people to me. Um, What qualities do you look for in a person, whether it's a relationship or a friendship or a business partner? Um, Well, from that book on... Uh, course, uh, course in miracles. There's a line from that book that says, "Be vigilant about one thing only, and it's to know God's peace." And I've really taken that to heart. So that's what I look for in all my affairs. You know, be they emotional, business, uh, family, is just that I want to know peace. And if something is disturbing my peace, that's to be avoided or altered. I love that. Okay, my last question. I ask everybody this question. Okay. Are you green juice or tequila? <gasps> can you choose both? Yes, you can choose Duh. both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm both. Yes, green juice and tequila. They actually taste really good together, too. <laughs> yeah, I would do I would do a straight shot of tequila and then the green juice would be the chaser. Yes, I love yeah. it. Yeah. I, I've had a couple women as guests on this show who've never been on that were super nervous and it was like a 10 a.m. recording and usually they come to my home. I'm like, I'm going to make us a big green juice and they're like, do you have tequila? Because I'm so nervous. So there's a couple... They mixed them both together and straight up drink tequila at my 10 a.m. recording to calm their nerves Dang. down. So they have, we have can absolutely mix both of them together. Um, 
Zoe, thank you so much for coming on and being a guest and supporting this podcast and sharing your story. I'm, I feel like you're such an inspiring woman. And uh, even if you didn't realize it, you were definitely a huge, uh, pivotal, impressionable person in my life, uh, even coming to Austin. And I want people listening to be able to follow you and, and um, join and do anything that you're doing, whether it's trainings or retreats. Is there anything that's coming up for you that the public can, can look into or participate in? Um, thanks. It's, it's really touching to be acknowledged in this way. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I mean, I do have a website, which is just we love Zoe.com. And, um, yeah, my biggest endeavor is happening on UT. You know, that's, that's my biggest group that I'm reaching, but I do have some offerings, um, online that you can find through my website. Love it. I, well, I am so excited for you and your journey with UT. I cannot wait to watch and see how this unfolds and what you can build with it. I'm just so incredibly excited. And again, thank you so much for being on here. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Melissa. You're welcome. <laughs> well, you guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to click and subscribe. You can always leave a review. I'd be so grateful and so appreciative. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day.